You're listening to the No Gray Areas podcast with Patrick McCullough. Today's guest is Dwayne Canova, prolific author, keynote speaker, and entrepreneur. Dwayne explains how to become an exceptional executive team by implementing structures. Let's dive in. Welcome, Dwayne Canova, to the No Gray Areas podcast. So good to have you here. Great to be here. So Great anybody who's watching, most of our, our, our audience are just listeners. Um, so I'll tell them we have a stack of books in front of us, and these have all been written by you. And we're actually missing quite a few, right? We're missing a number of them, right? <laughs> Just a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. So you are a prolific author. Uh, we've known each other for over 10 years. You actually came in as a consultant for a company that I was working with, an organization that I was helping to lead years ago. And uh, I just told last week we had lunch and I told you how I have used and implemented the materials that you taught me all those years ago uh, for over a decade now. Everywhere I've gone, I've used those. Wow. So that's just great to hear. Yeah. 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 Appreciate it so much. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But let me, first of all, just to have the audience get to know you a little bit. Some people might say that you were uh, a kid from nowhere, right? <laughs> Why is that? Where are you from? Well, I'm from a little town of 2,000 people. Okay in a farming area. Yeah. In fact, in the middle of a million acres of crop farm at the bottom of California in the desert. And uh, so 2000 people and our little downtown had a uh, two block area. There were businesses on each side of that little, excuse me, the four block area, two blocks in each yeah. direction from the center, the center uh, intersection. Yeah. And so a little town and uh, everyone knew everyone. In fact, I'm still today very close friends with some of the people from my kindergarten class. Oh my goodness. Okay. So, now again, most people, uh, they're, they're just listening. So let, let's, to get an idea how long that's been, I won't ask you your age, but just tell me you and your wife just celebrated how many anniversaries together? Yeah, we, we're, we're just finishing, uh, finishing up 56 years together. Wow. And, uh, and you so, got married when you were five? Uh, actually <laughs> I was a full 21. <laughs> you're a full 21. Okay. They can do the math. So when you say that you're still friends with kindergartners, that's going a lot of decades back with well, your, with with kindergarten friends, right? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stories that go with it, but uh, yeah. there were probably 15 of them at, at the time, and there st we're still close with probably six of us. Quite a few wow. have passed, but uh, 72 years of friendship, so yeah. it's kind of fun. I kind of wish we had one of them on here because they might tell some stories about you that you wouldn't tell about yourself. Well, right? Only only nice things. We built this <laughs> pact many years ago. Yes. That's why you're still we, friends. That's why right? we're still friends. Yeah. That's why you're still friends. <laughs> yeah. So, so you mentioned something about um, uh, right before we turned these mics on. You said something about uh, being uh, kind of a child of the grapes for wrath of wrath. Yeah. And uh, I know that book. Let's pretend some of our audience doesn't explain that. Grapes of Wrath is about a time period. A uh, number of writers, you know, kind of wrote about that. Steinbeck wrote the book, The Grapes of Wrath, but it was about a time period. It was sort of the end of prohibition, but there was also the Dust Bowl days of Oklahoma mm -hmm. and people from the Midwest, the farmers and uh, different people migrated out to California. And they ended up out here because it was a place where there was work because the depression had just uh, come along. In fact, um, I'm, a, I'm a 1944 baby. Yeah. And uh, so we had the war going on. Yeah. We had depression and a lot of people moved out. And uh, as an idea, my, my father uh, finished the second grade uh, before he was put to work. Uh, and then my, my mother second grade, and then he's going to work. Yeah. He went to work at been like, eight years old, seven, eight years old and, uh, full time. Yeah. But anyway, that, uh, there's a whole deal of stories to go with that. But my mother was, uh, said she made it through the eighth grade and, uh, 
but she came to California. Uh, my dad was uh, 40, my mother was 20, and uh, here I am. Huh. So we, uh, yeah. you know, they yeah. had me, I was their uh, oldest, and they moved down to this little farm town, and uh, we lived sort of at the end of what was Main Street. There were a few places in between there, but we had this nice little 16-foot uh, trailer that the uh, four of us lived in. I had a little brother. Yeah. And uh, we just fell in love with the little town, and that's kind of grapes well, of wrath. And that's it's so crazy because, you know, I didn't, I didn't meet you until about a decade ago. And, I mean, you look at anybody who's watching, they see this stack of books here, and you've done business really at a, in some ways at an international level, right? So you go from this little boy in this little tiny town where all these years later you're still friends with some of your 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 fellow kindergartners all those sure. years back but but god has had you on quite a journey right you've done some pretty impressive things interesting things tell us a little bit about that well you know we're all built in different ways yeah we sort of we all know this particularly we notice it with our children each of the children come and they kind of have their own hardware but they also have their own software their own operating system yes, <laughs> their own so piece. true so here in this little town as i uh came back from the kindergarten class at five years old, I noticed some of the kids were selling newspapers on the street corner. So I started selling newspapers on the street corner in this little town. It didn't take very long. I could go over and uh, buy 10 papers for seven cents a piece. I could go run two or three blocks and uh, get into town and I could sell those 10 papers for- so you were a little uh, entrepreneur for a dollar, age. Yeah, and go home with 30 cents. Yeah. Well, that got expanded because I would go in, in our little town of four blocks, we had four bars. And I would go into the bars to uh, sell newspapers. And while I was in there, one of the guys said to me, hey, why don't you get a shoe shine kit and come shine my shoes? Yeah. So at six, I'm shining shoes and uh, I got a quarter. A whole quarter. A whole quarter. And so I would do the newspapers. But that was big money back then oh, for my a six-year-old. Well, I, you know, I felt like Elon Musk must feel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I would go home with that change rattling in my pocket and yeah. put it into my big piggy bank. And, uh, oh, yeah, and literally a piggy bank. And you could hear it clink when yeah. it hit in there. And yeah. So it was a great time and a great town. And yeah. Just well, so, anyway. so at a very young age, you started, you had this kind of this business mind. Mm -hmm. You're already a little bit of an entrepreneur, but that ends up going into like years later, you actually had some pretty good sized businesses, right? Yes. Well, even at eight, I had the chance to kind of build a newspaper route. So yeah. rather than just selling on the street corner, I went around door to door and I ended up with a hundred customers and I would deliver their newspapers every day. I did that. For so the at eight I, years old, you develop a customer base of a hundred yeah, people 100, in a little town, in the little town. And <laughs> uh, uh, man, I love that. I did that till I was 15 Yeah, and uh, just had a great time with yeah. it. But so always kind of thinking about, yeah. and, and it wasn't so much the money. It was the sense of finishing the route every day, mm. uh, getting it done. And of course I was, uh, you know, an athlete, I got to play all kinds of sports. We had great mm -hmm. weather there, so we played sports, did all that sort of thing. Yeah, year-round. And uh, year-round, had a great time, and school was terrific, spectacular teachers, spectacular coaches, and it just was a magnificent time. Yeah. And uh, so by the time I'm finishing high school, I'm, uh, uh, I was being uh, scouted. Uh, and so I had a chance to sign minor league baseball with the Mets. Okay. But I end up uh, getting a scholarship to Fresno State. Yeah. And Fresno State in those days had what was considered the number one coach in the college uh, circuits. Um, uh, his name was Pete Biden. And uh, so I had a chance to go up there 
And so, so you chose that? Over, well, I chose yeah, that because, yeah. because I, actually I had, a, I had a scholarship for uh, academics up there to uh, major in agriculture. And uh, went up there, found out that these guys playing college ball were so much better than me. There was I another level. I yeah. had yeah. better get really good at this agriculture so I could feed a family. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was the end of the yeah. baseball. But, uh, so I have much admiration for all yeah. those folks. Yeah. Yeah, well then you go on. You uh, you ended up developing a couple of businesses, did really well. But you've been a student of leadership mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. When you were leading things yourself, and in fact, almost all of these books are mm -hmm. about leadership. So I do this anytime I have anybody on this podcast, and we start talking about leadership because part of the thing about this podcast, we talk about living on purpose for a purpose. Talk about all kinds of different character qualities. Um, principles of life. But whenever we talk about leadership, I always want to pause because I don't want anybody to to reach over and turn it off and go, well, I'm not a leader, so this doesn't apply to me. Uh, so what would you say to someone who's maybe reaching over right now and saying, I'm not a leader, this doesn't apply to me? What would you say to them? Well, first of all, all of us are impacted by leaders. Mm -hmm. That's the very first thing. The second thing is now with quite a few decades of being involved in leadership roles and at the front of the uh, the room, if you will, mm -hmm. I've had so many people behind the scenes give me brilliant, brilliant insights, brilliant input. So think of me as a salad <laughs> where I've had all these hundreds of people give me feedback, give me critical comments, share with me their thoughts. And so even if you're not at the front of the room in a leadership role, uh, you can have a significant impact on the leaders around you and uh, and and if and in my mind one of the key features of a terrific leader is that they're coachable mm. and so having them listen to you and so forth so we're all mm. responsible yeah and um, right now leadership is one of those areas where we all feel there's a, a sort of a, a lack of it if you will which is so interesting because i, I read a statistic about a year or two ago that a new book on leadership comes out every, every eight hours on Amazon. Yeah. So every eight hours, a new book on leadership. So we have more information about leadership than ever in the history of humanity. But I think most of us would admit when we look around, we're going, we maybe lack good leadership more than ever mm -hmm. yeah. in, in history as well. So so we have a lot of information out there, but we're still, we, we still have a long ways to go to. Well, here's another anecdote that will yeah. help explain part of that. Yeah. Okay. Let me set the stage here. So imagine me speaking with a group of C-level executives, you know, chief executive officer, COO, chief marketing officer, chief financial officer, speaking to a hundred of them, and they're all from different companies. So I'm speaking to them, and they know that I'm here to talk about exceptional executive teams. That's mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. focus is exceptional executive teams. So one of the things I do is say, look, I want to get to know you and want, want to kind of get a flavor for things. I said, I'm going to hold up a book. And uh, hold up a book. And if you've read the book, raise your hand. Mm -hmm. So I hold up a um, Patrick Lencioni book, mm -hmm. uh, a John Maxwell book, a Simon Sinek book. And they've a, all read them probably, right? Yeah. So, so I get 70 to 80, yeah. 90 hands. 70, 80, 90 hands on each one of them. Yeah. So then I ask, here's what would really be helpful. Why don't we hear, if you don't mind, is if you could just share with us... Um, something that you really liked in one of these books, a single item that you really yeah. liked. Yeah. Uh, what you liked and why you liked it. A couple sentences. So I'll go around the room. We'll get 10 to 15 people. Here's what I like. I like this. I like mm -hmm. that. Da, da, da. Really mm -hmm. good. And they're always really good points. Then I ask this, okay, 
Here's the next thing, and that can be anyone. It doesn't have to be someone that's already uh, uh, shared. Um, but um, so for these things that you liked, just explain to us uh, how you implemented them in your company and what was the impact. <laughs> yeah. So the issue is very few hands. Yeah. And so the issue that we're really focused on is how do we get and yeah. build structure and discipline and a system in place so that we can apply all this great yeah. leadership teaching. Which goes back to what, I mean, again, we have a lot of information about leadership that's coming in, but what you're saying, the problem is, is we're not always implementing very much of it. We don't have a system in place to implement very yeah. much of it. We don't have a structure within yeah. which to do it. So I'm going to get there in a moment with you because I want you to unpack a little bit about what you do mm -hmm. with that and why that's important. You actually mentioned some books there. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, you are a student of leadership. You have been for a long time. Uh, name a couple of your favorite books on leadership, minus the ones that are sitting next to us here, because these are <laughs> definitely the favorites, but, but because these were authored by you, but, um, name some of your favorites and why they were some of your favorites. Like well, if someone was listening and going, I want to read a couple of books on leadership, what would you recommend? Well, the first, uh, the first book I would read is the one minute manager. Mm -hmm. It's a classic. It's, it's been around classic. for a long time. The other one is the E-Myth, Michael Gerber. Yeah. And the third one, oddly enough, is a book called The Goal. The Goal. And The Goal was written in the early 90s uh, by a guy named Eliyahu Goldrat. And The Goal is the beginning of the teaching around continuous improvement. Hmm. And so that has those three books, I actually post them on my website as the three books that have impacted me the most. Yeah. And uh, so you'll see those things are around structure, yeah. not so much about leadership principles, because leadership principles are things that, you know, people can choose and select on their own. And that's perfectly appropriate. And all of them are terrific. Uh, but we have to apply them in yeah. a structured way. And this is what I've known. So a decade ago when you were working with our team and you were coming in as a consultant, helping us when we met last week for lunch, this is what I've seen with you is you always go back to implementation, which I, I value so much because uh, most organizations, churches, businesses, everything, when their leadership team goes off to a conference, everybody in the organization is going, oh no, because they know what usually happens. They come back <laughs> with a bunch of ideas that they're going to say, hey, we're going to start doing this. And it actually never goes anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's never really implemented. So you always go back to structure and implementation, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Because there's so much just spectacular stuff. And, and we're so overwhelmed these days with so mm -hmm. much information. Mm -hmm. So really, we begin from the point is, well, let's help you apply what you're already doing more effectively. And then from there, you can do adjustments and continuous improvement. Yeah, <laughs> continuous improvement. And so yeah. that's really kind of, yeah. kind of what it is. Let's get yeah. the system in place. And then, then we can begin to think yeah. about next things. Last week, we were having lunch together. And you said something to me that I thought was so good, I actually wrote it down in my notebook. And I'm like, oh, when I interview him, I'm going to ask him about this. You said there's the number one style of leadership. You remember what you said? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What did you say? Well. Number well, one style of leadership is? Well, it, it's called the hand wave. Yeah. And the reason for that is one of the things early on you talk about leadership and everything, they talk about the word of delegating. Mm -hmm. What I have found with the delegating is done with a hand wave. There's an yeah. issue that the leader doesn't necessarily want to deal with. And they'll wave their hand and say, well, you take care of that or you go do this and you go do that. The result of that is siloing in organizations. So the chief marketing officer goes off. The chief financial officer goes off with the hand wave. 
but we need to get them together and not go off with hand waves, but go off with a coordinated effort. Well, and that's why that stuck out to me. I think most people <laughs> listening have worked in a place where that's what happens. They have the hand wave, so it yeah. starts at the top. You know, hey, COO, you go take care of this. And then they go to whoever's under You go take care of this. And the hand wave just kind of makes its way down. Yes. But actually, there's, there's no system or structure in place that anybody really knows what's going on then. Yes. How it's being handled. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's one of the things that you always you, you bring up and, and really the core of you got all of these books sitting here that you've written over the years. But if you summed it all up, you would say that you're really about providing a structure for an executive leadership team for. In fact, you used a, 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 an adjective to describe a good executive leadership team. What is it? The word's exceptional. exceptional. We need to have exceptional executive teams. Every organization, that's kind of the movement, if you will, the focus is. Every organization deserves an exceptional executive team. Mm -hmm. The only way to become exceptional, and unfortunately, a lot of the big examples we have of that are really in the sports world, the music world, the entertainment world. And we look at all of this exceptional talent out there. And um, uh, even if we think of some of the, I'm going to just take the talent shows. Some people come on and, gosh, they see just raw, marvelous talent. And then they begin to work through weeks of structure, weeks of discipline, weeks of coaching. And so that beautiful voice becomes a magnificent performing voice. But it comes about with structure, with discipline, mm -hmm. and with coaching. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need for these executive teams. So the bulk of the books here today that I've written are about how do we train coaches to be coaches for exceptional executive teams. Yeah. What do you think is, like if you had to sum up what one of the main issues on a team becoming an exceptional leadership team, and I know this is probably an unfair question because there's probably a plethora of answers, but what would you say are one of the, one of the biggest issues with leadership teams not being exceptional? Well, they really are not connected and aligned. <laughs> mm. So each has their own part of the organization and they go do their part of the organization. What happens is at the operational level then, because each has their own silo or kingdom, if you will, as those parts, and they all have to connect and work with one another operationally, that's not necessarily good and capable of doing it because the, the leaders of the different parts are not necessarily connected and aligned at the thinking level. Yeah. So it isn't just uh, as you move down in an organization or up in an organization, however you want to go, it's not just that they're not aligned, but you're even saying the leadership team isn't always aligned in their thinking and their, so, right? In, in fact, rarely are they. Yeah. It, it's rare that they are. Yeah. Uh, because again, it's part of a hand wave where you go take care of this. Yeah. I give you a budget to go do that and you have a budget to go do this yeah. and you have a budget to go do that and we wave a hand and everybody goes off. So, but uh, Dwayne, this is so good because, I mean, it's been proven, statistically it's been proven over and over and over again that, that, that employees, one of their number one frustrations is, I don't think my boss even knows what I do. I don't mm -hmm. think they know. But what you're saying is the problem's even bigger than that. It's not just that your boss doesn't understand, but if you're on an executive leadership team, the person sitting next to you at the executive leadership team uh, table, they probably don't even know what you're doing. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes. But... How does that happen? How does that happen in such a pervasive way? Hmm. And here's one of the ways that happens is let's assume we're in a, uh, in a, in a casual environment. We're, 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 at, we're at a little 
party sharing wine or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I've done this now many, many times. And we have research that we're uh, planning to put underway at our institute. But it's around this issue. We say, look, just go around the room and then come back. And uh, I'd like for you to point out to me uh, people that you think really are leaders or have great leadership potential. And so I'll ask people to go do that. So they'll go around, we'll come back, we'll huddle up, we'll chit chat. And they'll describe to me people who will be good leaders. But here is how they describe them. People are attracted to them. They have personality. They have presence. And they communicate well. I would guess that that, I mean, those I think are, if you ask almost anybody, they would start saying those are the top quality. To those the are leader, the top right? qualities. They're influencing. They can influence people, right? Absolutely. And so on the surface, that's really good. Mm -hmm. But quite often people with that personality profile are not good at details. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's now a lot of research out there that's getting more and more coverage that says, no, no, no. It's the quiet person off in the corner thinking and thinking about how the parts should be working together. That's really the great leader, not necessarily the person that's great in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's really... Yeah. Um, kind of one of the new movement areas. And we think we're a part of that, yeah. uh, that process yeah. is how yeah. do we help? Um, how do we help put that structure? So we don't want to um, discount any of the value of personality presence and those communication skills. But what we want to add to that is structure, discipline, willingness to pay attention to the details. Um, and, uh, and, and then participate with, uh, with people yeah, in terms yeah. of that. So, you know, and, and, and here's the thing that's so neat about that, because I think if let's say someone listening is one of those influencer where they were like the first list that you gave, mm -hmm. um, and, and you walk through that and you're going, oh man, they can move people. They can, they can get a crowd to come in, but even them, they, they should go, well, you, you know, you've seen it happen in the past where if you get a crowd to come, but you don't go anywhere, nothing mm -hmm. ever happens that crowd starts dispersing. So you, you have to get some people around you that have that, the gifts and a system around you that have the gifts to make sure that whatever crowd you're bringing in, whatever you're promising, that, that you can deliver mm -hmm. it, right? Because again, that's another complaint. So many organizations over-promise and under-deliver, right? Yes, yes, they do. And, uh, and it all begins at the leadership level because the personality of the organization adjusts to the personality of the collective of the executive team. Okay, say that again, because that was really good. So, the yeah. so when we think about an organization, it's the collective of, of the executive team that shapes the personality of the organization mm. because the person responsible for, nan for, for finance does one thing, marketing another, operations another, mm -hmm. sales another. It's all trickling down. So that becomes a collective that affects, yeah. Yeah. affects everyone. Yeah. So. If we don't really have that executive team connected and aligned at the thinking level, mm -hmm. we are going to have mm -hmm. dysfunction and and uh, yeah. and, and distractions really, at the operational level. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone has their own leader, 
-hmm. so it's kind of like we have a yes. we have a federal government, and then we have governors of each of the states, and we certainly uh, can see yeah. plenty of examples of that. But this becomes one of those uh, kind of uh, illustrations for what that might look yeah. like. Yeah. And so if I summed up what you're saying, you're you're saying as goes the leadership team, so goes the organization. Mm -hmm. So if the leadership team isn't aligned, yeah. the organization's not going to be aligned. Yeah. If the leadership team has has yeah. silos, the organization is going to have silos. If the yes. leadership team isn't getting what they said they're going to get done, getting done, mm -hmm. it's just going to be the organization. So yeah. you, one of the things that you've been doing as a student of leadership for years is you're trying to help these teams get aligned. Yeah, we get them aligned. And uh, that's the first step. Um, and they only have to do four things. By, by the way, leadership is different than management. And you would be fascinated at how few people can articulate the oh, difference. I mean, I've read books where people argue about that. Like, what's yeah. the difference? So how yeah. would you define the difference? <clears throat> well, it's really interesting because uh, leadership is about direction. It's about strategy. It's about creating culture. It's about creating an environment within which all of the operational activities happen. That's the leadership requirement. The management piece is setting goals and pressing people to exceed the goals. That's really a management task. Okay. And would you say a lot of positions have to do both? Well, everyone at the C level has to do both. Okay. So we have the same individual doing both, but guess here's, here's another of the issues. See, the leadership piece requires you think at a conceptual and future level. The management has you focus at a present and an action level. And my guess, is because of the tyranny of the urgent that most teams get tied up in the the, the, the immediate yeah. and they're no longer thinking and dreaming of the future. So we really end up talking about culture, but we really don't have a culture that gets infused and supported and reinforced and celebrated. So that we have, we have the management team uh, and we have this, and again, same individual because the same individual has to do the leadership role and they have to do the management role. And we talk about, uh, in this way, the drug of choice at the C-level part of the organization is busyness. In fact, when they have their weekly meeting, it's about what we're going to do this week. And so the can, can I wait, can I pause? Because I don't want anybody to miss what you just said. That is so, that is gold right there. The, the drug of choice for most leadership teams is busyness. Mm -hmm. And at the operational level, that's perfect. Let's just stay busy and let's go do these things. But so if I'm a, uh, let's say I'm a, a supervisor of a team of eight people, uh, I'm still thinking a little bit about future stuff. I've got to do this to the team, that team, and so forth. But I'm being assessed and evaluated on what I produce for the day. Mm -hmm. And if we take that and scale that up to the top, that same thinking exists. So if I'm at a C-level, I'm, I'm at the uh, top level of an organization, I need to be spending 10 to 20% of my time on leadership issues and 80 to 90% of my time on management issues. And when you say like that 10% that, that on leadership issues, you're talking about you know creating culture, uh, casting vision, thinking about the future. That's what you're talking about, right? Yes, well, think about this. In our system, we actually ask folks to do four things. First of all, we want to connect and align the executive team at the thinking level. What are you thinking about? And so then as a coach, and then we collaborate as a team, this is what you are thinking. Well, shouldn't you also be thinking about this? Mm -hmm. 
And then as a peer group, you see, peer influence is significantly more impactful than superior influence. So we have to get this collaborative. What, what do you mean by that? What do you mean well, by that? For example, if I'm the top person yeah. and I tell you what to do, that's one thing. Yeah. But as a peer, because I have to do what you told me to yeah, do. Yeah, you have to. You're do. My but but as a peer, that's where I need respect. That's where I want to engage I with. Get it. Yep. So peer influence is superior or more impactful, mm -hmm. if you will, th than a superior kind of influence. Yep. So we need to create an environment in which there is a peer engagement. Mm -hmm. To do that, we have to have visibility to the thinking. Mm -hmm. And once we have visibility to the thinking, then we can begin to celebrate our successes and our progress together. Yeah. So it's peer, it's visibility, and it's celebration that we need to have at the executive level yeah. around leadership issues, not just the management yeah. issues. Again, let me just step outside of the conversation about leadership for just a moment, because I think this does fit with just life, everyday life too. Because if I took the principles that you're talking about, you're saying that most executive leadership teams uh, get so tied up in the tyranny of the urgent that they're no longer um, doing the t what you're saying about 10% of their time they should be doing with like culture, vision, future. Isn't that mm -hmm. true with what we do with our lives a lot of times though uh, too? Of, of course. We get so tied up in, I got, you get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner, mm -hmm. you watch some TV, you yeah. go to bed, you get up the next day and you go, and you never stop yeah. to go, where do I want to be at two years from now? Yes. What, 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 what kind of uh, values do I believe? Am I living those values? Right. And that's, that's what leadership is doing. Yeah. It, ex that's what the executive teams are doing, but it's not leadership, it's management. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because so when, for example, most weekly meetings, uh, what the executive team sits around and talks about is what they're going to accomplish this week or next week. Mm -hmm. So it's about a to-do list because we all like a to-do list. We love checking off. This is completed, mm -hmm. that's completed, and that's completed. So one of, the, one of the key principles in this is that Let's assume that I have something going on and I need to say, mm, I need to do that differently. That needs, that's a fix that I need to do. Well, I have to begin thinking. I have to begin asking questions. I have to begin exploring. What about this? What about that? Da, da, da. That is frustrating for most people. Mm -hmm. But if I say, okay, I'm going to go do this, and by noon I'm going to have this done, that's gratifying. Mm -hmm. So busyness is a short shot to gratification. Mm -hmm. Thinking about something is a quick shot to frustration. And so people will avoid the, the thinking piece mm -hmm. uh, just because of that. One yeah. is one is frustrating, the other is gratifying. Yeah. Do you, get, do you feel like you get a lot of pushback when you come into organizations and you start talking to them about this? Or, or are they usually welcoming you with open arms? Because I would guess that most organizations are so busy when you start talking about adding something to the, they just go, this is one more thing we don't have time to do. Well, first of all, we don't, uh, we don't start off talking about that early in the process. Mm -hmm. we, we start off at a completely different place with this. And we start off with helping people get to clarity about the things they should be doing. So here's a very interesting thing. But okay, so I, man, this is what I love talking with you because there's so many, it, it all goes to life principles too. Who, who listening right now wouldn't want more clarity in their life on what are the most important things for them to do? You're talking about an executive leadership team of an organization, but every individual is the same thing. Like take some, create some space in your life where you can step back and figure out what's really valuable, right? Yes. But you're, so you're helping teams do that. Go ahead. Yes. No, I, I just think this whole issue of, uh, you know, this, this idea of thinking 
getting ourselves uh, prepared, spending some time, devoted time, to willingly being frustrated to help work through things. I have a responsibility as a, as a top-level leader in an organization. I have a responsibility for helping really embed a supportive culture. I need to build an environment within which people connect and work and develop with one another. Mm. And uh, we believe there are four things. There are the four basic things that have to occur for that to, uh, to happen in an organization to be realized. The first is we have to have a structured process that keeps the executive team connected and aligned at the thinking level, at the okay. leadership level. And you keep saying that. So, so there's a process that helps them stay connected at the thinking level. That's an yeah. important thing that you're saying. Yeah. Well, what we've done is we've actually digitized that, digitally transformed how that gets done. Okay. And what I mean by that is this. So we're all comfortable with the fact that we would have a technology that's foundational for our accounting system, right? We would, we're comfortable that we have a technology that's right there for our uh, sales system. Well, we've built a technology for the executive leadership team. Hmm. So they start using the tools and it just mm -hmm. takes a um, couple hours a week, actually, mm -hmm. two to three hours a week, and they will begin to Put but, these four things in place. Stay connected. So yeah. that was one of them. Yeah. What are so, the other so the connecting line. The other one is this. Imagine going to an executive, the, the, let's say the principal of an organization, and asking this question. So how many strategic initiatives are underway in your organization? And of course, they don't have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we have is another tool that says, okay, let's create a process by which we create and assess and evaluate and share strategic initiatives. Mm -hmm. And we engage a number of people in the organization in that process. Huh, now everyone knows where we're going. Mm -hmm. And they know what our priorities are. Mm -hmm. So if we have to change a priority, then we say, oh, of course I understand why they're doing that. We've got this, we've got that. So changing directions or changing priorities on a strategic initiative becomes simple because everybody's already a part of the process. Mm -hmm. So that's the second one, strategic initiatives. The third one is this. Imagine going in and speaking with an executive team and say, is this organization customer focused? Oh, and everyone wants to say yes. Of course yes. they say absolutely. So I say, well, show us the document or the process or the system that assures that the whole organization is customer focused in a way that leverages what each one brings <laughs> to the customer. I'll bet very few people can pull well, one out. Yeah. They don't have it, uh, but they yeah. might have a sales cycle. Yeah. They might have a customer support process, but tying it all together from how do we create awareness? How do we do a connection? How do we engage? How do we support? How do we grow? How do we develop? All of that full life cycle is not usually in a coordinated system. Mm -hmm. So customer focus would yeah. be the third. Yeah. The fourth one is this, is, um, and of course, this is one of the long-term maxims that Kind of sounds like management, but I'll show you how it connects with the leadership piece. Because by the way, all leadership has to connect with the management process so that it connects well with the operational process. But what goes on at the leadership level is what makes all of that more, more effective. Mm -hmm. So imagine mm -hmm. this, everyone, almost everyone agrees with this maxim, which is that if you're gonna manage something, you have to measure it. Yeah. Isn't that comfortable? Yeah, well, perfectly that's comfortable. We, that's what that. we usually hear. So now you we can't manage it if you can't measure yeah. it. So the other way that some people would say it. Yeah. yeah. 
So we don't do this early on in our relationship with a client. We build up to have this kind of conversation, but we'll say, listen, so, so tell me, um, how many uh, reports are there in your organization? By the way, what do you think it costs you to create those reports? And again, there's probably, most don't know. And let me ask you this, how well are those reports being used? So what leadership puts in place is this process of creating reports, assessing reports, engaging with reports, adjusting reports, going back to that continuous improvement thought, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So here is, um, here's a process that I've used for now a few decades, is um, go to someone who's creating a, a report that I know others use, and they might send the report out, it goes to 50 people, let's say. Mm -hmm. So I say, look, please do not send out that report. Um, and um, so they'll do that. They'll not send the report. And they'll say, here's what I'd like from you, please. I want to know who calls you first. I want to know their name, <laughs> the date, and the yeah, time yeah. they call. I want to know for the next... Who missed this report I want, going uh, out. Who, who missed the report. Yeah, yeah. And, and their comments. Just give me their name, the time they called, their comments. And so let's go through that. And so 24 hours later... Uh, and I said, and then by the way, when they call and complain, send them the report immediately, of yeah. course. Yeah. But then what we find out is that we've got 50 people um, that are receiving the report, but we only have 10 who called within two days. Yeah. And so we need to talk with both groups, though, those that wanted the report, yeah. why and how they're used. Let's go talk to those that didn't and why they're not. Because what we're going to find is that a supporting report or an adjustment to the report is being made but no one else knows about it. Yeah, which again is the lack of alignment, right? So, yeah. so, so the four principles now, we have to be connected in line at the thinking level. Second, we have to have clarity for everyone around the strategic initiatives. Third is we have to have clarity about what it means to be customer, fo customer focused and how everyone participates. And by the way, I'm saying customer focused, but it's really stakeholder. It's we've got to do the same thing for employees. We've got to do the same thing for different categories of customers. We have to do the same thing for our vendors, our alliance partners. We have to have clarity about all. And then, of course, the fourth is, um, are we using our reporting? And is our reporting uh, correct for us? Mm -hmm. And if leadership will, will participate and provide the leadership in that, yeah, yeah. In, in those four things, it will transform the leadership. And that's a way to become an exceptional executive team. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing that I've learned from this, Dwayne. So again, you, you worked with our team over a decade ago. And like I said, and, and you've actually taken these tools a lot farther than when, when we were working together. But still, I saw at a practical level how well this worked. Mm -hmm. I mean, our team understood uh, what we were thinking. We understood who was doing what. We were putting the, I mean, it was, it was, it was magnificent. So I just can't speak highly enough of it. Well, let's, let me land the plane here and talk just briefly about this. I think it was probably 40 some years ago that Peter Drucker used that quote that uh, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, something like that. Right. <laughs> and, um, and I know you've brought up the word culture numerous times. I've seen that, that culture, man, it is key, key, key. Mm -hmm. But what you what what you're saying is that a key part of a culture, if an organization is going to have a healthy culture, is this alignment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it's, it starts with alignment. Yeah, because see, culture is is certainly a value system, right? There's got to have a value system. Yeah, but also our lexicon, what kind of words do we use, starts to have a big impact that affects our culture. 
So if you could go in, I'm just going to pause for a second here and say, if you went into an organization and you could just walk around, no one knew who you were, and you could just walk around an organization for a few weeks, you would start writing down some key words that you're, that you're hearing used again and again. And you would say, whether they like it or not, that's part of their culture. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. a part of their culture. Yeah. Yeah. The, other, the other one is our interactions. How many organizations have a stated professional engagement standards? Hmm. How do we deal with one another? How do we speak with one another? What do we do anticipating that we're going to speak with someone, particularly if we're going to have something that could create conflict? Uh, those all need to be fairly well clarified. doesn't mean they don't get adjusted and changed. Everything gets adjusted and changed because we can do it better. But there needs to be a deliberate, clarified, defined attention to those things. So culture, um, frankly, uh, so much of what I hear about culture and what I see described as culture in the, in the general news world, if you will, is, is fluff. Yeah. And what I mean by fluff, for example, here's yeah. culture. Um, let's assume it's a product that's very popular to a particular category of the population. Well, if people work there, they talk about what a great culture it is. And part of the great culture is I love to go off, off work speak with my friends and with other people and tell them that I work for that country, that company. Yeah. So they're proud of the company and the company's position in the world. So therefore it has a good culture, but it's really because it's, they're selling a lot of something. Yes. Yeah. And there are, there are many very uh, successful companies that have just these toxic, toxic places, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. people go there and work and they're happy to do it because they can go to their friends and say, I work for, and that creates its own sense of, uh, yeah. Uh, separateness, if yeah. you will, or accomplishment for a particular person. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that any of that isn't correct, but it still doesn't mean that what we have embedded in that organization is a real supportive mm -hmm. and, and a real building and, and developing a culture. Mm -hmm. Well, Dwayne, thanks so much. Again, I can't speak highly enough of the tools that you have have come up with the books that you have the tools that you taught me I, I mean it's it's helped tremendously and again to kind of land the plane on this I think it's not just about leadership if we as as we as individuals every listener if if we as individuals would take some of the things that you talked about and make sure that we're not so busy in our life or if you're part of an executive team that you're not so busy that you don't take some time and pause and think through vision and core values things that really matter, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And then the other thing that I love that I just can't speak highly enough is the implementation part. I mean, I've, I, I just turned 50 this year, so I'm catching you, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm right behind you, so I just turned 50 this year. And uh, I can't tell you the number of times that I've seen, not just places that I've worked, but just looking around and seeing where uh, there's a lot of talk about this is what we do, but when you dig in, you're going, yeah, but you're, you're not implementing it. You're not mm -hmm. actually doing it. Yes. And, and that's what your team does. That's what you do is you're saying, we want to say that this isn't just talk. We're actually implementing this. We're doing this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dwayne, uh, we always finish with this. It's a fun way to finish. Um, it's ironic because we call this no gray areas. And uh, I'm going to ask you to lie to me. So give us two truths in a lie. So you... Um, I, I've known you for over a decade. See if you can stump me, but the audience has listened to you for a little over 30 minutes. Let's see if you can stump them. Two truths and a lie. One is that uh, I've, I've been blessed with a lot of spectacular, fun things to do in life. That's one thing. Second, I'm a really committed Jesus follower. And the third one is uh, 
I'm really sort of laid back and casual about life. Okay, so you've had you've had a lot of amazing opportunities. You're committed Jesus follower and you're laid back. I know the second one is true. I've known you long enough. I know this. You're not going to trick me with that one. You're not going to fool me with that one. That one's true. Um, I, I think you've had a... Oh, you might have stumped me here because you are, especially anybody who's talking about leadership, or you wouldn't, th you'd think like you're a type A personality. Um, I think you've had a lot of opportunities in life too. I'm, I'm going to go with number three is the lie. You're oh. not laid back. Oh, I'm not laid back. No, yeah. no, yeah. no, okay. no. Here I am at this uh, young age. And when I say young age, it's really, I, I'm in my third childhood here uh, by, by uh, calculation here. But I'm just as intense. I'm I'm still a uh, 50 to 60 hour a week person yeah. having about as much fun as I can have. And yeah. My wife has been putting up with it for 56 years. In fact, she's a significant supporter of it. Yeah. And we have a lot of fun. We get to do a lot of things. And yeah. uh, so it's just a lot to be thankful for. That's true. I should I got it right. But I should have known immediately because, yes, um, most people that are in your stage of life have retired a long time ago and they're just relaxing and, and you're still trying to improve businesses yeah. and organizations. Well, so. and, and just think of her being uh, really supportive. She and I uh, have built uh, three companies together and uh, one of them uh, over over more than a decade, we built it. We started with napkin drawings and discussions mm -hmm. and so forth. And when we finished, we had 3,000 employees in five countries. Started on a napkin, went to 3,000 uh, employees, employees in five countries. Five countries. Yeah. And uh, we really had a terrific time doing it. And she's very much uh, the operations person. I'm more the business development person. But I found that uh, I really got excited about the business development mm -hmm. side, of course, was easy for me. But the operational piece to watch her and watch her work with her team, uh, because she would always have eight to 10 people reporting to her and managing, you know, mm -hmm, thousands mm -hmm. of people around yep, the world. Yep. And just to see her, she has been kind of my model yeah. for what I think an exceptional executive yeah. Yeah. Uh, is about. And uh, that's amazing. So I've, that's I've amazing. been able to learn from her. Yeah. So yeah. That's amazing. Well, Dwayne, thanks so much for taking your time. I really appreciate you, and I appreciate your friendship and your mentorship in my life. So thank you. Thank you. I'm just thankful for our friendship and just looking forward to all the fun new things ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the No Gray Areas podcast. To dive deeper into the story, be sure to subscribe, follow us on social media, and check out nograyareas.com.